You're listening to I Love This, You Should Too, with Samantha Hees and Indy Randawa. Hello, Internet. You know how every jerk who thinks what he has to say matters? Well, I'm one of those people. My name is Indy, and with me on this journey of self-importance is the lovely Samantha. I'm Samantha. <laughs> yes, she is. <laughs> Welcome to another episode of I Love This, You Should Too. And today we are talking about the television show Game of Thrones. Yes. Before this, I had never actually seen any of Game of Thrones. So I'm as shocked about that as you were about me not knowing the twist in Sixth Sense. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, there's a lot of series that I um I missed out on because for probably four or five years of the peak of Game of Thrones, I wasn't living in an English-speaking country. Right. So it wasn't nearly as big over there. Of course, everyone would go on and on about it on Facebook, but it's not something that I would hear about day to day, like out in the actual world. Mm -hmm. So it was pretty easy for me to avoid. And I also do like watching shows once they're done, and then I can kind of watch everything. You just watch everything, and it's like a clean, tidy ending. Yeah, which is the case for this. Yeah. You timed it pretty well, too, because I was watching the final season as you were approaching the final season yeah my goal was to watch the final episode live with everyone else uh by the time the final episode aired i was on the final season the second episode but then once the the final episode aired i took another like three weeks to watch those last few episodes it's also hard to come to the end of something that you were like quite invested in like you invested a lot of hours true and i think i find it really hard when i'm really invested in something to like call it quits because you know that's the end oh i didn't feel like that i just um i kind of got bored of it <laughs> okay <laughs> and now that everyone wasn't talking about it because the ending had already happened it wasn't so it wasn't so pressing because i wasn't watching the ending live with everyone so right. there was much less of a ticking clock i watched the ending elsewhere we'll talk about that in a minute excellent so basis of the podcast our usual format did you love it I'm going to give the most boring answer I've given. (laughs) I liked it. You liked it? It seems like so many people are like, oh, I hated this. I hated that. Or like, it's the greatest thing ever. And it's a solid B for me. Which I think I'm in the real minority for people who just think it's like, yeah, it's pretty good. It's very polarizing. Everyone's very like, I love this. I live for it. And then other people are like, yeah, it got real bad at the end. Yeah. I thought, yeah, it was pretty good. So... That's not a great answer, but hopefully I'll have some better things to say throughout the the rest of the episode. So having just wrapped it up, do you feel like this is a show overall that you love? Yes. Okay, good. I'm I glad do. that you're still I as have, passionate about it. I have opinions about per- certain parts and the ways that things were done. I was not a book person. I didn't read the books. I tried. It's so wordy and like it's just not my style of book. Um, to read. So I didn't read the books. I just watched the series. Um, and it's such a beautifully shot series. You can kind of forgive some of the little plot things that don't make sense or some of the like harder things to get past. 
And before we go any further, we should talk about this beer of the week because it's an especially appropriate one. It's very one. special. We are drinking Mother of Dragons from the Game of Thrones Royal Reserve Collection. It's a smoked porter and lambic blend. So it's very bizarre. I've never, I've, I love lambics. I love porters. I've yes. never had one blended like this. It's really tasty. It's very good. It's like a 6.6%, but tastes like juicy. Juicy, yeah. Kind of reminds me a little bit of the Delirium Red, but toned down. Yeah, unless fruity. Yeah, it's made by Omagang in New York. But on the beer, it says, a beer for Daenerys, a blend of delicately smoked porter and tart cherry creek. Brewed for those who nurture dragons. Mm. So we've been saving this one for today. I feel like we should also mention that this is a spoiler zone. Oh, yeah, yeah. This is not your intro to Game of Thrones podcast. This is a podcast where we talk about big things that happen in the series. Yeah. So turn it off if you haven't watched and you're planning on watching, because from here on out, we're ruining it all for you. Or if you haven't watched and have no intention of watching, maybe this is a good podcast for you because I'm not going to be super into it. It's kind of introductory in that way. Yes. So to start off of this entire series, could you say that you have a favorite part? I don't know. That's hard. I like when Cersei gets like arrested and tried and everything for having sex with her brother. (laughs) And um, <laughs> such an odd favorite part of the show. No, but I just like that they didn't let her off the hook because she was the queen. Mm-hmm. I enjoyed that there was like there was justice there and there was like an outcome. I feel like a lot of fantasy series don't have like a just outcome for some of the things that happen. I feel like if you liked when people get their uh, comeuppance, there's uh, <laughs> better better versions of that than that because she ultimately kind of gets out of it. She does, but she also like lives through her punishment. True. What about you? What do you think your favorite thing was? So my favorite thing is when the series would put together these kind of odd couples, and then they would go on journeys together. Pretty much every time it happened, I really liked it. When it was Tyrion and Pod the one time, or yes. Tyrion and Bronn. So basically Tyrion together. and anybody. No, but then... um. Jamie and Brienne, they were they were great They're together. Great. I want them to be together forever. Yes. Arya and the Hound. Like all of these times when you get two people who like, why are they together? And then they go on a journey together. It's always really yes. fun. Uh, Brienne and Pod as well. Yes. Yeah. Those ones were all, I think those are my favorite parts of, of the show. Absolutely. I agree. I think yours is better than mine. <laughs> <laughs> so what's your least favorite part? So I think that my least favorite moment, and I feel like it's commonly a least favorite moment, even though the scene was done quite tastefully, um, was when... Oh, I think I know where you're going. Yeah, when Ramsay rapes Sansa. Yeah. And um, I think while it's kind of a not a good thing for her character, but she becomes a lot stronger after. Yeah, she's very she, resilient. It's really like the it's a turning, turning point. It's the turning point yeah. for her character. Um and I don't think that, like, that should have been the reason that her character got stronger. But no. I think that um, the way it was done was really nice, but it's it's always really hard to watch that kind of subject matter. Definitely. 
I actually can't remember that scene, so I'm thinking I may have just like not looked. Yeah. Because that yeah, that bothers me. I knew I knew it was coming. That was the thing. Like well, yeah. it had been spoiled for me. Oh, I thought I knew it was coming just because I know those two characters. I've yes. been watching them and you can tell what's it gonna happen. It was pretty obvious that yeah. yeah, that was where it was going. But no, it had been ruined for me. Um, because that was part of the series that I didn't watch live. The first three or four seasons I watched to catch up. What was your least favorite part? So I'm not sure if this is my least favorite part, because throughout this episode, I'll probably be all sorts of nitpicky. But something that was maybe the most disappointing to me was how deaths come about in the show. Because the only thing I really knew going into it was that your favorite character can die at any moment. And that's kind of... And I felt like that was the case. So in uh, season one... I think we're just really getting into the whole conversation of the show now. Getting into it. But so feel free to jump in whenever okay. you want. In season one, Sean Bean, not Sean Bean, I should name his character, Ned Eddard. Stark. Stark. Ned, Ned Stark. Eddard is his full name. Aha, I know uh, something that Sam doesn't. Uh, Ned is short uh, for Eddard. Yeah, but he's called Ned the okay. entire time. But we're both right. Yes, we're both right. So when Eddard Stark is decapitated... I was like, oh shit, they're, they meant it. Like, anyone can die at any point. And at that point, I felt it was really um, it was really subversive. It subverts what you think. Because he's the protagonist to that point. He's the hero to that point. And to know that he could die, it showed me right off the bat, that the, at the end of season one, that anything can happen in this show. No one is safe. And that, that all my expectations of television watching can be changed at any moment. Right. However, I don't feel like this was consistent because the further the show went, I felt that things would happen not to subvert expectations, but rather just for shock value. Like the whole red wedding thing. I think you could consider that on either side. That's not egregious to either way. No. It definitely subverts things because at that point, Rob Stark was kind of the the protagonist or the hero at least. The hero, yeah. We're all on Rob Stark's side. And especially he has this new wife, she's pregnant. They seem happy. When they're killed, you could see it that way, but I felt it almost as just manipulative. It's like, look how happy they are at this point. Gotcha. Yeah, nobody's allowed to be happy in this series. Yeah. There is no, like, happiness or calmness or, like, contentment. Mm -hmm. If someone is content, they're probably going to die. Or something is going to come in and ruin it for them. Or something is going to get real bad. I felt that was less subversive and more just shocking. Yes. And it felt uh, it felt more hollow because of that. And then in deaths of people that we wanted to die. Like, mm-hmm. everyone wanted Joffrey to die, right? Yes. But when it happened, it didn't feel fulfilling. No. I wanted someone to come up and strangle him. And the fact that he was poisoned and the wrong person was blamed yeah. for it. And I get that's part of it, that it's supposed to be, like, that the guilty party doesn't always necessarily pay. It could go either way. And, like, you don't know what's happening in the show because... Because people are human and they're fallible and mistakes are made on either side. But still, a lot of the times, it just didn't ring true the way that they used death. And then when other heroes were killed, or not maybe heroes, but other people that we are cheering for actively, Uh it felt like it was just thrown away. People would just get killed here or there and to no end. Yes. Like, if you're going to use someone's death, use it as a great plot point to build some characters like mm. when Eddard was killed in the first series, Arya watches that and that sets her on a journey. Yes. It made sense for the rest of the she series. She has her list and she goes and trains. Absolutely. And she learns how to be harder and meaner and faster and like 
Absolutely. Yeah. So everything's set in motion because of that death. Yes. Later on, we get deaths that it feels like they were killed just to keep the audience on their toes. Mm-hmm. And it doesn't really progress the plot at all. No. So that, I think, is my least favorite. Okay. Do you feel death was treated a little bit like that? Yeah. I feel like by the end of the series, I was very like used to it. At the beginning, it was very shocking when people died. And, like, it was always shocking when you'd have, like, an episode go by and, like, three main characters would die. And it'd be, like, like with the Red Wedding. It was, like, mm-hmm. who's left? Yeah, yeah. How, like, who is left to carry on the show? I mean, there's, like, 900 characters. I'm currently staring at a family tree, and it is large. Um yeah, so as you probably know if you've listened to this podcast, I never remember anyone's names, but I'm doing all right this you time. You are, actually. I don't have the name of lists. I don't have the... The name of lists. <laughs> <laughs> List of names. Everything is the something of something in this show. Yes. The Mother of Dragons, the name of lists. The Breaker of Chains. Game of Thrones. The King of the North? No, in the North. King of the North. King in the North. Yeah, it's both. No, I think... No, they say both. King of the North. I thought Kawhi Leonard was King of the North. Okay, I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) One person out there is like, I get it. (laughs) Those crossover Game of Thrones basketball fans. Yeah, you know. Big, it's a big, it's a big audience. And as the seasons progress, it goes on to be not just shocking, but the characters die and it's inconsequential in a new way because now... If someone dies, they'll just come back. No big deal. Yeah. Because the one thing you had told me before I watched it on the first episode. <laughs> I'm so sorry. You said Jon Snow dies. And then I started watching and I was into like season, I don't know, but before he dies. Yeah. And I came to the conclusion like that if he dies, he'll just come back. Because there isn't any way that this show can't finish without him. No, it's And true. I was right. Yeah, it's true. He is ends up being the main character. Yeah, and I feel like there were seeds of that very early. Because he was kind of made to be our favorite character. Yes. They force you to love this character, and it works on Well, because he's the underdog. He's treated badly by his his mother and his brothers and everything. Brothers, I say that lately because we know differently. But I think that they make you love him because he is, like, kicked around and he's sad and... Yeah, we'll have to talk all about Jon Snow later. Yes. Because there's a lot to say there. We'll get back to that. But yes, I think that you are forced to love him in the beginning. But once they introduce the idea that people can come back from the dead, it matters less. And plus, there are less consequential deaths after that point. And then by the final season, they're just outright tricking you with deaths. Yes. Because there's this one part where Sam is dying. He's being killed. And John looks at him and turns away. And it's like a real important moment for his character because he's turning his back on Sam, not because he's bad, but for the greater good. Yes. So he leaves Sam there because he has to go fight the Night King. Yes. But then we see, no, Sam's fine. Yeah. No big deal. No, he should have been way more injured than he actually was. They absolutely played it like he was dead. Like he was being killed. Yeah. And that's a good example of how death used to mean something on the show. It used to set things in motion. And now it's just to trick us. Yes. And it feels cheap because of that. It does. Was that your least favorite? Yeah. Death? I guess my least favorite part of the series is just how how they treat death throughout. And I guess that's just indicative of how this series changes throughout. Yeah. What's your most memorable death? I think for the reasons I just said, um, 
probably uh, Ned's at the beginning. Yeah. Because watching his family see it and their all their reactions and because it was so meaningful. Yeah. And because it was the most surprising, I think that one stays with me the most. Outside of John dying, but then it didn't matter because he came back. Yeah. What about you? So I think during the Battle of Winterfell, and I know we weren't going to talk about this yet, but uh, Lyanna um, Mormont, uh, the Lady of Bear Island, the little girl, she is such a an awesome character because she like knows she's little and she knows she's technically still a child. She was, I don't know, maybe my favorite she's character. She's definitely one of my favorite characters. Um, she's awesome. And I remember I was watching that episode at work on all my breaks because it was Monday and I hadn't had a chance to watch it on Sunday and the internet was ready to ruin it for me at like every turn. So I finally was like, okay, I have like 90 minutes worth of breaks so I'm going to be able to like get it in and I started watching the second I left my office to the second I sat back down at my desk. Her getting crushed as she stabs the giant. So... When she's in the giant's hand and she ends up killing him and you can hear her ribs crack and it's just such a like, it's such a moving scene because there's sound, there's like visuals, there's like a lot of emotion because at that point you're already like most of the way through the battle and you're all like tense and on edge and you see that and I sobbed out loud. Oh no. I was like, I wasn't crying at that point, but like the... Like, one of my favorite characters getting crushed to death, but her death having a lot of meaning like that was really, like, powerful. Yeah, that makes sense. So I think and, like, the whole sacrificial yes. idea of it, right? And the fact that she's, like, a giant killer and yeah. she's little. Yeah. That that was a really fitting end. I yes. like that. That was an appropriate one. I think that was very noble. That's one of the deaths I did like. I didn't like that she died, but no. I think how it was done was, was fitting. I agree. So today we have a little bit of a structure of how we're going to talk about this because it's so much bigger than the movies. We're not just freewheeling it as much. We'll talk about a few things that we liked and didn't like. We'll talk about some of our favorite characters, but we're going to try to keep talking about the ending of the show until the end. Yes. Because I think it's really dangerous and easy just to talk about the ending for this entire time. We don't just want to talk about the last season. We want to talk about the whole series, and it's really easy to just relate everything to the last season. Yeah. So tell me... About your favorite character? There's a bunch because there's, there's just so many them. characters. <laughs> yeah. So I think I might as well just go with the most obvious right off the bat and we can talk all about Arya. Oh, yes. I think Arya is probably my favorite. There's some little bit part characters that maybe I like a lot too. But yeah, she's she's a great one because she's one who actually has a, has a real arc to and it has a real journey. She does have a real journey and they do a really good job with her because she is she was like 9 when the show started. Yeah. And now she's like an adult. She was great as a child. She was. Not that she's not great later, but she was very good as a child. She was very very good and she had a lot of personality and she played her she played her role really well. What were some of your top moments for Arya? I don't know about top moments because with her it's it's the journey. I think the times I liked her best is when she was on that journey with the Hound. When in the final season, or maybe the second last season, she meets up with him and they plan to go to King's Landing together. And yes. I was like, oh yeah, buddy cop movie again. And then they were just there in the next shot. So Yeah, you miss out on... Yeah, you get cheated out of a lot in the last season, but we'll talk about that. In the one. last three seasons. Yeah. 
I also liked how she was a stone cold sociopathic killer. Yes. And how sometimes she would kill someone without batting an eye. Yeah. And it was like, oh, that's so hardcore. And you don't want to like glamorize it, but it was so cool. Yes. She was definitely did some cool things. Mm-hmm. And um, I liked when she went to go and train to be like a killer. The a faceless man? The faceless man. That yeah. part, I don't know, because I feel like she was in the, what's it called, the House of Black and White or something yeah. like that for a full season. And it seemed like 90% of it was just her doing something and then someone going, who are you? And then she would answer and then she would get hit with a stick. Yeah. And it just went on and on and on. And you don't get to see like the actual training. Like when were they actually teaching her all the killing parts? I don't know. And I I did find that part of the show dragged. Um, It wasn't my favorite Arya like arc. I feel like you really understand where her character comes from after she leaves that place. You know, my one of my other favorite Arya times is when she's the cupbearer for Tywin Lannister. Yes. It was another really kind of odd couple pairing moment, which we probably forget about because it was so long ago. But the two of them were great together. I really enjoyed all of that. And Arya with her friends when they were imprisoned and then breaking out. That was a lot of good stuff. Right off the beginning, she's like beating up bullies and stuff. And it's it's... It's gratifying to see a small person beat up a boy. Yes. And I think that's why we like Lyanna as well, the Lady of Bear Island. Yeah. Because they're little and they're like literally literally smaller than everyone else. And their brothers are these big burly men and like clearly the ones who are going to like win in a fight, but they do their best to best everyone else. Yeah. She's the ultimate bully killer in the end, right? Because yes. she kills the Night King. She kills the what Night King. What do you think King. about that? How did that play for you? I was surprised. Yeah. I was really surprised, but also, like, really excited about it. And that same day that I was watching the episode in um, on my breaks, I, uh, like, literally threw my hands up in the air and cheered when that happened because <laughs> it was like it didn't seem because it was so close to the end of the episode it didn't seem like it was actually gonna happen yeah and that he was gonna continue to be like a villain for the rest of the series and we still had like three or four episodes left which would have been better <laughs> <laughs> i really thought it was a good ending for her character yeah as much as i am a fan of Arya, it didn't feel right that she killed the night king mm-hmm. and just kind of jumps out of nowhere and stabs him and hey it's over I don't know. It was unfulfilling, but I guess we'll talk about all sorts of unfulfilling things when we talk (laughs) about the final season. Yes. So one thing I really liked about Arya's arc was that they left, like, the fact that she was a teenage girl and, like, could very easily have just been boy crazy. They left that out completely. Mm -hmm. And I really liked that they developed her almost like a male character Mm -hmm. because they didn't give her a love interest and they didn't make her like crush on someone and they just like she was all business and she was like almost just as focused as like when they were on the road um and she was with the hound like they were both trying to meet the same goal and they were both like not letting emotion happen and i think that that was really awesome for her as a character because not every female character needs a love interest yeah and i think you could say that she's probably the most driven character possibly in the whole show she has one goal and sticks with it almost until the end she's on the same train everyone else gets distracted Jon Snow's falling in love with whoever comes along (laughs) any woman that he meets really all two of them yeah (laughs) but she never does and there's one 
interesting thing. I don't know if it's good or bad, but it's definitely different. So often in movies and TV shows, a woman will come along in a male protagonist's life and she serves nothing more than to to further the plot. Yes. But in this case, Gendry does nothing more than serve as a point where Arya kind of it's furthers her development because yeah. now she's she's kind of exploring her her sexuality, her womanhood, but kind of just moves on really quickly. Yeah, and he's like, "I love you. I want to take you home. Yeah. You can be my lady." And she's like, "I'm, I ain't I'm no one's lady. I'm nobody's lady. <laughs> I am the lord of like you know my own life." And she doesn't need him. And I think it's really funny that he ends up playing that almost more like classically feminine role where he's like, come be with me. We can be in love and it'll be an easier life. Yeah. And yet I don't feel like they make it so apparent that they're switching roles. It wasn't a place of like, hey, look, we're switching things up to be progressive. It just seemed very true to her character. Yeah. They were very true to that the entire seasons. So I think Arya is my favorite character. Who is yours? Um, I'm going to have to stay in the Stark family and Can say, I guess who it is? Yeah. Oh, so you already gave me that clue. Knowing you and your sensibilities of fanciness and courtliness, <laughs> Sansa. Fanciness. Yes. Yeah? Yeah. yeah Sansa's my favorite. Um, Because I do really enjoy her ability to overcome and to, like, stay above the all the, like, shit she's dealt she really does kind of rise above and um, although she has a really shitty start to life and to being kind of everyone's property and she's passed around um, from like family to family because she's very much a political pawn. um, I think that she does a really good job of using everything to kind of learn and make herself kind of stronger and to protect herself. And when it is time to escape and when it is time to like fight for herself, she does a really good job because she's taken all of this wisdom and knowledge that she's gained from all of the, like, shit that's happened to her. And she just becomes a stronger, more badass person. I agree with everything you've said, and it makes perfect sense. That being said, I just never really cared for the character. I kind of got bored with her a lot. But your points are all very valid. Like, absolutely, she's someone who it starts off as a child being as close to as we get as someone who's like a boy crazy teen in this because she's looking at boys and like oh he's cute i can be a queen and that's what she's interested in and her growing up and out of that it is a good journey but i just was never really captivated by the character and i don't think it's any real fault of the actor playing her but i just i don't know i never really got on board with sansa that's fair i really like her strength and i think that she has like a quiet, solemn strength, which is yes. nice. Yes, and it, it becomes stronger towards the end of the series. And mm-hmm. I really love, like, I loved watching. I'd come in for like an episode or two when you were rewatching or when you were watching the series for the first time, and I enjoyed just kind of watching her grow as a person. Yeah, because it's really hard to go back and see character development without watching the whole thing. Yeah, I wonder if I were to watch it again, if I'd appreciate her more, knowing where she goes. Knowing where she goes and what happens, yeah. Because in the end, when she is this strong woman, a, a real leader, yeah, I also kind of just felt like, well, she's been a dick half the time. Like, when she was just always kind of annoyed with Daenerys and being untrustworthy and stuff, I just kind of wanted to be like, just, just let it go. I've had enough conflict. Just just chill. You I know? think she was right to be untrustworthy. Though. Yeah, probably. We'll talk about that later. But she was retroactively proven right, which is another issue. <laughs> <laughs> um, 
I just think she's learned to the point where she doesn't trust easily and it takes a lot to get her on your side. Yeah, I think maybe the root in a lot of why I don't like her is one of the things I disliked about the first, let's say, four to five seasons. Mm -hmm. Because I think there were very good seasons, but there was so much about it that was just like palace intrigue and... um, like manipulating someone, but oh, actually, this was the secret plan. No, it was this secret plan. And I get that that's what the strength of the show is to a lot of people. But Mm -hmm. I felt like a lot of it didn't really make sense if you really look at it. And then the times it did is just, I don't know, kind of annoyed me. And I just wasn't interested in that. And that gets to be Sansa's strength. She's the one who starts mastering that Mm -hmm. kind of thing. And maybe that's why I didn't like her is just because I don't like that as a tactic on a TV show. It just wasn't as interesting to me. Okay. I understand that. And I'd rather see someone run around with a little sword and uh, decapitate people like Arya. Well, it's more we, interesting TV to me. That's why we're divided on which sister we like the best. That's true. Um, although I did really like how, although it plays it at towards the end that the two sisters are going to be at each other's throats, that yeah. they come together. That was very fulfilling to Oh, me. it was. I really enjoyed that because it was like they haven't seen each other in like years. Mm-hmm. They basically grew up separately, and you can tell by how different they are, just how, like, how separately they grew up. And um, and then they're just, like, back being sisters. It felt so good. Yeah. Yeah, that was very fulfilling. I was a little worried that they were going to make them, like, Yeah, like one rivals. kill the other? Oh, yeah. I would have been very angry. Or, like, on opposite sides yes. or, like, something. I, no. I just knew, like, they were going to do something with that, and I was really scared that they were going to make that the central, like problem yeah when it was at that point i was almost saying out loud to the tv like both of these two are smarter than Littlefinger. how is this working but it turns out it wasn't and if you're listening at home (laughs) that was sam's daily (laughs) dose of saying "Mm -hmm," into a not wine glass this time but a A pint pint glass glass. (laughs) so let's move on so we talked about heroes kind of Mm -hmm. those were our two favorites who is your favorite villain I think my favorite villain um, would be Cersei. Because she is like, like, yes, Joffrey was really awful, but he's also a product of his environment. And I think um, Cersei really pulls the strings for so long Yes. in the capital. And even right up until the end. Like, she, you could make the argument that she's the most successful ruler she is. we see in the show, outside of maybe um, the Baratheon who dies at the beginning. Because she was, like, queen, and then she became queen mother and regent, and then she became, like, queen mother, and then her son dies, so she becomes regent again. So she sits on that throne, like, three or four times, and then finally just takes the throne for herself and i think it's really um interesting to watch throughout the entire series how she really plays the long game in some things and she really knows that like yeah she's gonna she's gonna end up defending it's gonna be on her she's gonna be the one who ends up having to save the family because jamie runs away and Tyrion's banished and it's up to her and she knows that it almost seems like from the start she doesn't seem to like her husband, she kind of, like, rolls her eyes at the beginning of the series, and she's like, oh, him, whatever. <laughs> like, clearly she's the one who's, like, running things and making all of the, like, decisions for the royal family. Yeah, I feel like she, like many people, didn't get the greatest 
respect towards the end because I feel like for three seasons she's just standing in front of a window. She looking is, yeah. At her schemes and everything like that are just kind of, I said I'd go there, but I'm not going to. It's it's not nearly as uh, as intricate as some other people. It's hard to pick favorite villains because you hate them yes. in a lot of ways. So maybe that's what makes them good because I, I hated Cersei, but I was like, is she a good character? And I, I'm not as sure, but yeah, I see what you're saying. I definitely hated her. One of the things I felt cheated about was her final defeat because it's also the downfall of Daenerys. So you don't get to like revel in the yes. defeat of Cersei. Yes. And I don't know. I feel like the way that she died, though, is very appropriate. She died yes. the way she lived. She Banging loved, her brother. Loving her brother. Yeah. And I think um, she has an appropriate reaction. I think I would have been a little bit upset if she had been stone-faced and stoic until the end. Yeah. And said, like, I will not surrender. I don't care what happens. Exactly. She was very much She's afraid big and really, like, appropriately afraid for the situation that she's in which is her sitting is her city is literally falling down around her and she's afraid and she tries to escape and i feel like that's what a normal person would do if there were there was a dragon flying over you showering everything with fire and bricks yes um although maybe i don't have as many great things to say i think the one good thing i can say about cersei is I can't think of any times where I felt like anything she did was out of character or just abnormal yeah. or out of the realm of possibilities. She seems like a very real person, a terrible person for sure, but oh, yeah. a very real person. Yeah. I liked a lot of the women in this series. No matter what side of the like conflict they fell on, I think they were really well developed and really well played. For the most part, yeah. For the most part, yeah. There were some like background women who maybe don't have like the best stories or the best ends i think we'll get to some main characters we might disagree on excellent (laughs) okay i can't wait who's your favorite villain i'm interested to know now this one might surprise you because it's someone i think we forget a lot about especially given everything now you're looking at your sheet like you have a guess like i could pick it out of the 40 people who wrote it is it marjorie I never would have considered Marjorie a villain. Interesting. She's very much a puppet master. I think she's yeah. like, she's very but much... for the greater good. For the greater good, yeah. I, th- I think she's a hero, mm-hmm. and I kind of liked her, but not that much. <laughs> no, my favorite villain is actually Tywin Lannister. Oh. So Tywin Lannister is a character that I think because he dies kind of early on that we forget about him. And he's never really seen as the number one bad guy a lot of the time. Because, Tywin? Yeah. No, Tywin comes back in the last episode. Are you thinking of Cersei's husband? The king? Tywin does not come back in the last episode. That's yes, he does. Tyrion's dad, who he yeah. kills? Tyrion kills him. No? Sam is now looking at her phone in an attempt to prove me wrong. And when she realizes that she is wrong, she will have to buy me a delicious ice cream. There's ice cream in the freezer. Doesn't count. (laughs) I bought it. (laughs) Yes, you did. No, I bought that. No, you bought that. Never mind. You were right. So Tywin, who is Cersei, Tyrion, and Jaime's father, dies when Tyrion kills him with a crossbow, I think. 
because he's never the most hated villain, we forget him about him a lot. Because Joffrey, it's so easy to hate Joffrey that you forget that Tywin is the one who has all the power at this point. He's the one leading things when he's the hand. Uh, he controls entire Lannister family. And he has a lot more power than I think we give him credit for. Yeah. And also, I think it's one of the best performances by an actor in the show. I don't even know his name, which is a shame, but the man who plays Tywin is fantastic. And I really like the time he has with Arya because it was a great moment for for both of them. We get to see some real humanizing stuff with Tywin uh, when he's talking about how he taught Jamie to read, all these things. You see him as as a dad, kind of, and a disappointed dad. Yes. And sometimes you, you see where he's coming from. And he's a character that I feel like if he was a Stark we would laud him as a hero because he's someone that's willing to do anything for the legacy of his family. Like, of course... He married his daughter to a king. He, like, made sure his son had a royal, like, place in the household. He, like, has put everything forward in order to better his family. Yeah, and there's still a bunch of villainous stuff about Absolutely. him, of course. No. Like um so like the way he treats uh, Tyrion. <laughs> yeah. So and Tyrion is is such a likable character that when someone treats him badly, you can you automatically are going to hate him. Yes. But Tywin does a lot of great things for his family, and it just so happens that his family is uh, evil and terrible, so evil and so terrible. he's a villain. Yeah. But there's a, a lot of great character work that he does. I love the introduction of him. So I don't know if you remember this, and it might not even be the very first time we see him. He is skinning a deer. And I'm not sure if it was a great special effect or if this actor actually skinned a deer, but it was fantastic. He's uh, he's skinning this deer, and he's kind of laying out his character. He's very matter-of-fact. He's willing to do whatever it takes. Right. And one thing that he does that no one else does is when Rob Stark starts uh, succeeding, winning battles... Tywin doesn't get lost in his own overconfidence or anything like that. What he says is, well, I was wrong. This, uh, he's uh, stronger than we thought. He hasn't learned fear yet. So we're going to have to adjust things. Right. He's just, uh, he's really smart that way. He's really practical and pragmatic and so well acted that I, I thought he's a really good character. I agree. Even though I thought he was in the last season for some reason. <laughs> Who am I thinking of? I have no idea. I don't know. Anyway. Should we talk about another villain that I think the first villain everyone thinks about when you think of Game of Thrones is, of course, I expect you to go Joffrey. Yes, Joffrey. Joffrey is... <laughs> My mind went blank when you pointed at me and I don't know why. <laughs> I was literally just thinking about something to say about Joffrey. He's the most hated character, I'm sure. Oh, maybe maybe Ramsay. Ramsay. The two of them. The two of them, yeah. Like, they Joffrey just, is... They the... should be best friends. Yeah. Oh, oh. I could see that. So at some point, I'm going to complain about how there are characters who are unnecessarily evil and cruel and to no ends, and it seems lazy and unnecessary. But surprisingly... Kind of seems like you're complaining right now. I'm not going to say that about <laughs> Joffrey, who is the most unnecessarily cruel oh, yeah. outside of Ramsay. Outside of Ramsay, yeah. But the way he is, it's it doesn't seem like it's just a plot contrivance. It seems like he's a true... Wait, is a sadist or masochist? I always get it mixed up. Sadist. He's a true sadist. It's not like he's just torturing someone so we can feel sympathy for that character mm-hmm. later on. He that's just who his character he just is. Likes he's it. a true sadist. Yeah. And I feel like that is um a legitimate character trait. While we'll have characters later like um Frey 
and that one guy outside of the wall that Gilly runs away from that are just unnecessarily evil, and you're just wondering, like, why? Why do they have to be like this? Just to give us someone to hate, really. Yes. And Joffrey is that, but I can kind of see where it comes from, and they kind of laid the groundwork of him being a child as it comes his parents are evil. And his parents are brother and sister. And his parents are brother and sister, yes. Can't forget that. I agree. Um, But I also think it's also very much a a product of how he grew up. Because mm-hmm. I feel like royal children don't have, like, no said to them a lot. And yes. they get whatever they want. And, yeah. like... And you can see that a lot with Catelyn's nephew, Robin, I guess, who was the one who's like, throw him through the moon door. I want to see him fly. Like, that character is very much like that, who's never had no said to him. And you mean the one who crazy. was, like, breastfeeding at, yes. like, 10? That is the one I mean. Yeah. Yeah. Um... Well, he was like a little Joffrey Jr. He was like a little Joffrey Jr., yeah. but also kind of crazy. Yes. Like literally crazy. Well, I think his mom was crazy. As we see him without his mother, we see that he could be potentially a normal person. It's true. Yeah. It's true. He could well, probably. Well, Joffrey was crazy. He could have gone to live with the Starks and maybe turned out okay. Well, we see him later and he's like training to be a knight and everything like that. Oh, yeah, I forgot that we see him later. We see him at the end. So I think that Joffrey just has really bad influences in his life, and it's led him to just be the worst him he can be. Oh, I think he's a true, true sociopath that wherever he is, that's who he was going to be. He's going to be pulling the wings off butterflies as a child, and he was going to be a a serial killer if if he was alive today. That character would be a serial killer. I think you're right, actually. I'm gonna I think ch- it's, like, deep-seated into I'm going to change my answer because Tommen was a very nice person. Yeah. Um, he was just a bit of a dullard, that's all. Yes. Uh, Marcella, the daughter who gets sent to Dorne, yeah. she's also a very nice person. Yeah. I assume. We don't really get to know. But, yeah, the scenes, she seems scenes we know sweet. of her. She's, she seems just like a, a nice girl. She just wants to marry this man that she's living in the presence of. Yeah, like, and in love with, yeah. And in love with, because she was sent to him very young, and they've grown up together, and, like, that's what she wants to do. I think Joffrey is just, like you said, like a true sociopath. So I feel like while we're going through characters, I feel like we should start by talking about the two people who kind of end the series. So first we'll talk about John, and then we'll talk about Daenerys, and then we can talk about John and Daenerys. Sure. So Jon Snow. Yes. Like we said earlier, he's very much painted as the underdog um, at the beginning of the series. And he kind of seems like he's accepted his lot in life at the beginning of the series. He goes, he joins the Night Watch. Takes the black. Takes the black. I like that saying a lot. Yeah, that's pretty cool. That's a good one. Um, he vows to never have children, never continue the line, never claim anything as his own. He's just, he's of the Night's Watch now. And I think you can see very early on once he's joined the Night's Watch that it's not the life for him and that he's destined for a lot more. Um, So I think when he meets Egret on the other side of the wall, it's really like big moment for him because he realizes that he wants more than the Night's Watch and more than is technically allotted for him as a bastard Mm -hmm. because he has no lands to inherit but he still really wants that like fundamental love relationship that everyone else in the story has and I think that John is really great because he also kind of comes into his own like Sansa and like Arya and he is very much a Stark child 
even though he's not. Yes. Um, even though he is the heir to the Seven Kingdoms. What do you think? I feel like I'm rambling now. No, I, I agree. It's So John could easily be my favorite character, but it seems like it's just such an easy choice because he's conditioned to be your favorite character. Yes. You're meant to like him. And I felt kind of uh, kind of cheated by that. I was like, I see what you're doing, show. Don't tell me who to like. So I resisted a bit, but he's such a likable character. But he's like so good that almost it makes him less interesting because he's going to do the right thing always. Mm-hmm. That's what he does. He's Jon Snow. He does the right thing. While other characters are more fallible and flawed, and that makes them more interesting. He was so good that it, it was also almost to his detriment. Yes. But I feel like in this show, you needed one good person. That's true. Absolutely. Because everyone, their motivations changed so quickly and lots of people died really quickly. And he was a real good grounding force. He was very much the like steady force that you could count on, which is why I think that when he died, he almost had to come back to life because I don't know how the story would have stayed as balanced as it did. I only realized afterwards that that was a season finale where he dies. Because I was watching it just one episode after Oh, another. and it just auto-cues. Yeah. yeah, so I didn't realize that. So that must have been terrible for people waiting for like months or a year in it between. It was awful. <laughs> it was awful. It was one of those yelling at your television moments yeah. when it, the screen goes black and but the theme plays. But you must have thought that he's coming back. Because as soon as he died, I was like, no, nah, he's not dead. I so really knew it. that was, I think, the first season that I watched live. And so by the end of the season, I was already grumpy that I wasn't able to just, like, start another season. Yeah. And um, I think that I did not know that he was going to come back. And I remember reading um, online stuff about Kit Harrington, the actor who played him, um, and how he hadn't cut his hair yet because he's contractually obligated to have that hair while, like, the series is going And he also um, was spotted in the places where they were filming. So he was spotted in Iceland and he was spotted in um, like a whole bunch of the cities that they film in. And And HBO kept saying, oh, no, no, he's just visiting his friends on set. And then eventually it became pretty obvious that he wasn't just visiting because why would you go to six different cities that they're filming the show in? Why not just go to one? So by the time the show came back, I think I was pretty convinced that he was going to at least make a cameo in the new season. Was happy when he became alive again, when he mm-hmm. came back. What about you? Did you, did you, like when he died, you knew he was going to come back? Oh, yeah, clearly. I yeah. was like, they, they're forcing me to like this character so much. And I, it just seemed clear that he was going to be the hero from here on out. That mm-hmm. he was going to be the story that we care most about. And it, it was. It was effective for that. Like we say that... He was like this underdog story, but like a big issue I have with the show in general that he wasn't the underdog at all. He was the heir to the throne. He was like the true king. All along, yeah. Yeah, so so much of this show, it comes down to your birthright, your blood matters more than all you've endured and all the hard work. Because he was supposed to be the character that shows that, no, you can come from nothing. You can be a bastard and you can rise to to do whatever. But like, no, it was his destiny all along. It's like the same problem I have with so much of fantasy. Like some of them are great where it's someone who comes from nothing and they get they go on this fantastic journey, and those ones are much more accessible. But then mo- the majority of them are like Harry Potter and like this, where it's their destiny to do this. So, of course, they're going to do all these great things. Yes. They they don't have parents. 
they have something magical within them, and then they can overcome anything because of it. So what about at the end when he's, like, totally set up to claim his throne and he walks away from it? But I don't know if he's totally set up because I don't think it... He's not even in that conversation at the at the end, mm-hmm. right? He's still a prisoner at that point, and they're like they know that he can't be the king because then all of the people who are following Daenerys wouldn't wouldn't allow it, right? So then he goes back to to his obscurity, which I think is very fitting. And I think we're kind of jumping all over now, we are. but I think he is going to go on and be a king of sorts, but maybe the king beyond the wall, beyond the wall. Yeah, I could see that. I could see that. And I think he'd be more comfortable being that. Yeah, that's... I think when he went out and did all that stuff, that's where he was his true self. His happiest. When he was with the... Uh, Egret? Yes. The wildlings. Oh, I, I don't use that term. Uh, free folk, I prefer. Oh, my God. <laughs> They're called wildlings. <laughs> to you, to you courtly folk, but to, <gasps> to people like me, it's the free folk. I, that's where I would be. <laughs> Beyond the wall. Beyond the wall. You're right. He did Living free. He, he was living his like best version of himself when he was running around yeah, like because the the night watch the night's watch doesn't need to exist in the same way anymore Mm-mm. so and because the uh, the free folk are in and out he can um, travel with them a lot more too it's true and it's safer now that there isn't something there's no war scary a, a beyond the wall yeah i do agree that i think he, i think he's going to be the king King Beyond the Wall, Sansa's, you know, the queen of the North. Yes. Should we talk about Daenerys? Sure. Is Daenerys a character you love? I like her quite a bit. I also like her story arc. I'm, I'm a big fan. I can't remember. I always get the seasons confused. Right. But let's say up to season five-ish. She seemed like the character that is absolutely designed for me to like her. Everything she represents, like, you know how I'm all about down with monarchy and break the wheel and all of that kind of stuff. Yes. So when she starts preaching this, like, no, we're going to change things. We're going to break the wheel. And she starts freeing slaves. She's the breaker of chains, the mother of dragons. I was like, oh, fuck. Yeah, I love this character. (laughs) And then other things started to happen. Yes. She, before we get to the big turn at the end, she starts just kind of acting like a petulant child a lot. Yeah. And it's, it got annoying she seemed to be too virtuous to a point where she was just critical and I didn't even understand what her character wanted anymore. So she's someone that I, I really started to dislike quite quickly. Really? Yeah. And it, it was it was sad because it was someone that I really was on board with for their journey to see where like where she came from. And it was like the biggest journey because it actually... Physically, it was a huge journey, right? Because she kind of traveled all the way across. But in the end, it really fell flat for me. Interesting. I liked her journey. I liked... uh, She kind of came into her own a lot faster than, like, Sansa or Arya did. Um, But I think she really figured out, with the help of other women along the way, really figured out how to take her situation because it clearly wasn't changing. She was going to marry the Cal. She was going to become the Khaleesi. She was going to, like, this was just the way it was going to be. She couldn't run away. They'd murder her. So she made the best of it and then really learned how to work the situation in her favor. Yeah, and that's when I liked her. Mm -hmm. I understand what you're saying about how her character kind of went downhill for you because she really did kind of, she lost that original integrity. 
So it wasn't even just the big turn at the end, which we'll talk about. Yes. It's that as we went on, there would be times when um, when Tyrion would give her some advice and she'd be like, well, it didn't work last time. Yeah. And she was just kind of being a jerk about it. And it just felt unnecessary to her character who has like all this power, why she was acting like this. And it's also a fault of the characters around here because she was held to unnecessarily high standards mm-hmm. for when she killed Sam's father and brother. Yes. Everyone was so critical of that, but that's something that happens constantly. And she was held to these really unnecessary standards. And then those criticisms are made um, retroactively justified by having her crazy at the end and like, see, we were right all those times. But like, yeah, I get that you were right to criticize this crazy person we see at the end. But all of these criticisms throughout were were not justified at that time. And it it was just, it was especially frustrating because we see these seasons, hours and hours of television of women trying to overcome the constraints that are placed upon them. And then we see one who can, and oh no, she's too crazy now. So let's talk about Daenerys and her like little crazy spin. Mm -hmm. Do you think it was justified? No, I don't. I think there's so many things... There's a few things put in place to justify it. But in the end, it seems it seemed crazy, like in the true sense. And I don't know what the message I'm supposed to take away from that is that that her the blood in her is just it's meant to be crazy, that all the Targaryens are mad. Is it that a, a woman is too emotional to be queen? Like this is what it's kind of presenting to me. And yeah. it's, it's problematic and it's very disappointing. I feel like the... Um, the revelation of John's parentage being that he's a Targaryen and he's the one that is uh, the rightful heir mm-hmm. has no meaning for anything. It has no meaning to the plot except for you could say that made her be a little more wary and defensive and scared of him. And that made her a little more crazy, I guess. Yeah. But it's not enough to be for this person who's gone this whole time amassing armies without killing anyone Who's there? Who's the breaker of chains? Who's here to free all the slaves? To just outright, willfully massacre all of those people like she did? It's too far, and I don't feel like the show justified it enough for it to ring true to me. Hmm. Did it make sense for you that she would just go and kill thousands? Sort of. If we think of her like a mother, she's lost two of her children. Yes. Really horrifically, she's watched both of them die. And she's also lost so many people along the way. Her entire family line has been wiped out by this family, um, by the Baratheon family and the Lannister family. And I think that it all just hits her when she gets to, um, when she finally gets to the Red Keep and she gets to the point where she is so close to having it all. And I think that it really hits her how much they've taken away from her. And she she snaps. But I think she's someone who's proven herself logical enough to, to accept mistakes that people have made in the past if they promise to change, to place the blame where it lies. She's even been one who said, like, no, my father was a madman. I'm nothing mm-hmm. like him. That doesn't have any place on the throne. But... 
she knows these, the villagers, the people of King's Landing, just all of these citizens who are just regular people, she knows they have nothing to do with this. But she willfully sets them ablaze. I don't think she knows that they are not 100% Lannister supporters. I don't believe that because she's been to other countries where she's an invading force and there's been factions that are against her and she refuses to just wipe out everyone because Mm -hmm. she knows she herself always says that it's not the fault of all of these people. And she's, correct me if I'm wrong, but she's on the dragon, right? While they're, so she sees just poor people running mm-hmm. and sets them on fire. Yes. I don't think we could say that, oh, she probably thought they were supporting the Lannisters because everything that her character has shown in the past was, even if they were, she would give them the opportunity to uh, to change their minds. She had up until that point. Mm-hmm. And in places where it was not nearly as clear cut, it wasn't just unarmed people running away like it was in this case. Right. I get how you could probably make the justification for her killing the whatever, the Golden Army or whoever they're called. Yes, the Golden Army. You could justify that because, oh, they're being, they're going to be loyal to them. But when it's unarmed people running, that's that's a really hard sell for me. Okay. I understand. I understand where you're coming from. I just think, I think she's creating insurance for herself. Do you feel like the show itself is not clear that she's gone mad? No, I don't think it's clear. I felt it was... That's See, that's what upsets me, is that they just made her, like, a crazy person now. Because I feel like the show was very clear on that. I think that it's clear that she takes it too far. And I think that she is trying to be strong and she's trying to put her best self forward so that she can be the ruler that she thinks King's Landing needs. But I think that she takes it too far. She herself refused to attack King's Landing in the past because she thought it would damage the town and kill unnecessarily. And then she just kind of goes, yeah, actually, while I'm here, <laughs> maybe I'll kill all these people unnecessarily. Yes. After they've... Dragon breath. <laughs> after they've surrendered. Yes. I, I, yeah. I don't think I have anything good to add to that. I think you win. <laughs> <laughs> it's not that, like... You're now the king of the north. Yay. It's not that I'm arguing for, like, see, look how bad she is. It's more like, see, look how badly this last season treated her yes that's the true injustice of this all Mm. not what she did but how the show decided to take her Mm. can we talk about her and john for a minute yes please so skipping right to the end of their relationship aunt daenerys aunt daenerys i really don't danny auntie danny and nephew john um i don't like and like i understand that the Battle of Winterfell was starting and they couldn't really have like a long drawn out conversation, but it's never addressed whether or not they're like grossed out or they're like, oh, we can't do this anymore. Or like, cause they're like full on having a relationship at this point. Oh yeah. They were, they were having sex on the boat the whole ride over. Yes. And I think that I really would have liked to see at least a little bit of reaction about it instead of them just running up to fight the war and then never talking about it again. I wonder if because in this world, incest is so common that the grossed out part doesn't even play into it. And the only thing she's worried about is, oh, he has a more 
legitimate claim to the throne than I do. That's that's a good. That's all we get from it. That's a good point. Yeah, and she's worried that he is going to step in front of her. Do you feel like if John hadn't killed her, she would have killed him at some point? Yes. Yeah. Very much so. I agree. I think she's already on that warpath of taking out everyone in in her like that could challenge. Like in her and world she that could challenge her. May very well kill Sansa as well. I could see that. Yeah. I could I could definitely see they were kind of leading towards some kind of big confrontation between the two. And I don't think that it was necessarily a bad idea to leave it out. Because we don't need more like catty women going after each other. Yeah. I think that the fact that there was that tension and you kind of knew where it was leading and then it didn't lead there because she, uh, Daenerys ended up getting murdered. I think that was really wise that the writers and the showrunners left that out. Were you surprised when John killed her? I felt like at that point in the episode, I knew that it had to happen. I think she was so far gone at that point, and you could really see what her mo- new motivations were, that someone needed to take her out because she wasn't going to be a good ruler, and she wasn't going to be the ruler that King's Landing needed. I was very surprised when it happened. As soon as it happened, though, I was like, okay. But I did think that I kind of would have liked it if she ended up as the queen. And then you're like, oh, shit, this that kind of shows you like, no, this is just going to all start all over again. And I thought that would have been a fine place to end it. That would have been a fine place to end it. With another mad uh, Targaryen on the throne. Would you have been upset if Jon ended up ruling by her side? No, that'd be oh well. If <laughs> another if she brother was, sister duo on the throne, <laughs> if she was crazy and John was there, yes, I'd be upset because mm-hmm. he's been nothing but virtuous this whole time, yes. and to be a party to that, I think would uh, would be detrimental to his character for sure, for sure. So we know that there are family houses and they all have sigils and kind of like Harry Potter houses. They're very much like there are certain traits that are kind of applied to them and really only applied to them. Mm-hmm. So, like, the Starks are brave. The Lannisters are, like, power-hungry. Um, the Baratheons are, like, royal. And I think that each house has its own thing. So if you were to be – if you were to pick a house to be a part of, who would it be? Well <laughs> – Do you want the math? This is a bad answer, but – if I was put in a category and I was in this world, in the world of Game of Thrones, every slight different hair color of white person has its own unique characteristics and is special in its own way. Yes. All the filthy browns are just on another continent and they're completely <laughs> interchangeable, whether you're of African descent, Turkish, even Eastern European, Middle Eastern. Yeah, you're all kind of the same and interchangeable and you live maybe in the same family, but you're just over there being one of those uh, one Enjoy. of those filthy mudbloods. No, that's Harry Potter. <laughs> it's Harry Potter. One of those filthy mud races. Yeah. That's where I would be. At House Martell? If- Oh, no, but they actually get some characterization. Dorne, yeah. yeah. And then, sorry, I'm just on a bit of a tangent now. Yeah, you are. But, and then when she comes in, Daenerys, and it's the truest image of a white savior I figure. I knew you were going to go there, yes. Well, it's so clear. It is so clear. She's white, white, blonde. And there's this shot where everyone's just bowing to her, and she's yeah. in the middle, and they're all going, 
What are they saying? Mother. Massa, massa. Yeah. No, Misa. But it might as well be Masta because that's what it is. Because they're like, oh, we're all we are is slaves because that's all that those uh, the filthy darkies are good for. Oh, God. <laughs> that's what this, this is what this show shows me. That's all that they're good for in this world. And then but until someone who's even whiter than their white oppressor can come up and uh, and save them. And then they just bow to her, and now she's the new master. But it's cool because she means well. Although she is going to take you out of your homes and just get you to fight wars for her. But yeah. it's cool because it's a choice now. Sort of. Yeah, sort of. I always felt like they didn't actually really have a choice. Even if you're going to have, I get it, that this whole world of Westeros is uh, England, so it's all white people. That's fine. I don't have a problem with that. It's just that when you put all of the dark people and make them interchangeable, a person of African descent is not the same as a person of Turkish descent. Those are very different places. Yet with all the white people, the slightest, like a really blonde person's a Targaryen, a kind of blonde person's a Lannister, a dark haired person. And it's so specific for all the white people, but just masses of the unwashed for everyone else. (laughs) Okay. Wow. That was passionate. Yeah, it was frustrating. Um, my answer is not nearly as passionate. Can I guess who yours is? Yeah. You are House Terrell. How did you guess that? Because they're the fanciest, have the <laughs> nicest outfits, and have lots of gold stuff, and they're from what garden? High Garden. High Garden. You refer to this apartment as High Garden, I'm sure. No, it's it's Royal Garden. <laughs> See? <I'm> very- <laughs> So it just, it's very much you. Those are your aesthetics. I, I, but you can tell me about it. I like them because you really only see three characters from House Tyrell. And they're all pretty fun. And they're all fun. So like Loris, kind of a dad. Oh, I think he's fun. <laughs> he's well-dressed. He's well-dressed. Um, but his sister Marjorie really shines because she's clearly so much smarter than him and really like clearly so much smarter than her husband yeah. husbands she had three. Oh, i forgot about renly i liked renly actually renly who elena killed yes <laughs> but elena is the witch no elena is the grandma no renly her husband yeah elena didn't kill her she he was killed by Stannis's shadow baby. Oh, I forgot about the shadow baby. I can talk baby. all about that. Stannis Jr., I call Stannis him. Stannis Jr. Oh. Stan Jr. I hate Melisandre. I just like to put that out there. Okay, can we like take her. another tangent? Yeah. Magic. Magic. Magic exists in this world, but sometimes... So in season two, there's just shadow babies, and that's a thing that happens now. And it's all based on this, like, Lord of Light. And if there are conflicting religions and one proves itself to be legitimate and magic and divine, I'd be like, oh, well, I guess that's the right one, because the Lord of Light can bring you back from death. Yes. So I was like, well, I guess that's the right religion. And magic is used so inconsistently throughout this. Sometimes you can just do anything. And if someone is magic, why don't people ask them to do things more often? More magic. Like that one, Melisandre. Melisandre. She does that. And then she's like, okay, I'll set these sticks on fire. It's like, why weren't you helping? Like The entire time? Yeah. Yeah, during... Why aren't all the witches here doing this kind of stuff? During the Battle of Winterfell, when she lights up that, like, big... The pyres. Pyres. 
And like, why didn't you do that from the beginning? Why weren't you standing there ready to go? Let's save that for our wrap up because I have so much to say about oh Bran too and magic. Like how he doesn't do it all the time. I don't understand what a warg is. Um, yeah, so House Tyrell. I think that um, I love how strong the women are. I love how it's basically a house run by women. Mm-hmm. And um, I love how they really understand the politics of the places that they go and mm-hmm. use it to their advantage. And still, like, well-meaning. Still well-meaning, still well-liked. Manipulative, but to a good end. Yeah. And possibly the best dressed. Yes. Very Lannisters good. are pretty well-dressed, too, though. Good hair, good dress. Good hair, yeah. Good Better jewelry. hair than those Lannisters. Yeah. But, okay, if we're going to talk about these houses, I'd be Stark, I think. It's pretty clear. Like a northerner, just be up there, pretty rugged, hanging out outside. I I'd probably be free folk, really. You want to be a wildling? A free free folk, thank you. A wildling. I'm going to get you a shirt that That's a slur. Wildling. No, it's not. It is. It is not. Only we can say that. <laughs> oh, my God. I could see you being a Stark. Yeah. That seems about where I should be. Or like, don't take this the wrong way, but like, like a Jon Snow kind of like doesn't really belong to a family. Oh, like... I thought if I was like legitimately in this, I wouldn't be House Stark, but I'd be someone who lives in the North. So yeah, yeah, I think I would take, I think that's about accurate. Be a Snow. Free folk. Hanging out, being a wildling. I think just because I love Sansa so much, I'd want to be a Stark as well. Uh, I don't think you'd like it. It'd be too cold for you. Yeah. Well, that's the thing. High Garden sounds really warm. Yeah. <laughs> and the way they're dressed, you could tell they're from somewhere hot. Yes, because they're like the only people in King's Landing who wear sleeveless dresses. Yeah. Everyone else is covered or at least has some kind of sleeve, even if it's like a lighter dress. Yeah. You'd think when Jon Snow comes to all these hot places, he would be wearing much less because he's so used to being cold all the time. But no, he still wears that big fur. Yeah. So we're running really long. Do you want to talk about the ending? There's so much more to talk about, but I guess it is a really big show. Well, let's talk about this ending. Overall, everyone that I've heard from who is a fan of the show absolutely hated the last season. Where do you fall on this? Um... I think that there were a lot of different ways they could have ended the show. Obviously, they had to pick one and they had to get it done in six episodes. So I think that the way that they handled it was really good. There was a couple of things that I could have lived without, like the the way that they send everyone off into the world. I could have lived without that. I think they could have they could have ended it at crowning Bran and Sansa saying, I want to be Queen of the North, and then they could have just ended it like that. Oh, I thought that was one of the few things that worked for me. Because you see Sansa as Queen of the North, yeah. and she's leading these people. Uh, you see Arya on her ship, and she's sailing west of Westeros, I assume. Yeah. Because they, no, no one knows what's there. No one knows what's there. And she's leading these people. And it's then probably you like see... California or something. Yeah. <laughs> Even whiter people. Yeah. And then you see John meeting up with some of the nice Night's Watch and the Free Folk. So that's why I assumed he's going to lead those people. Yeah. I thought that was a great bookend because you start with the Starks and a lot through the middle, I didn't always feel like they were the protagonists of the show, but well, it brings it back to them. they were such a fragmented house, right? Yeah. Like it's, it, it was nice to see it come full circle when they were all together and they were all supporting each other. Mm-hmm. I really, really liked um, the way that they ended it that way because Sansa and Arya are like friends again. They're sisters again. Bran 
is probably like gonna do a good job being king and um john is like happily doing what he wants to do which is go beyond the wall and explore and make make the realm safe for everyone so it sounds like he really liked it i liked it but you just said he didn't like i liked it but also i could have used like six more episodes for them to really flesh out the story yeah so being someone who didn't have the same uh, time investment that a lot of people have. I haven't lived with these characters for so long. Yes. It's just been a, a few months, really. Uh, the quality of the last season, I did see a drop-off, but I don't think I was as angry about it because I wasn't nearly as personally invested, I think, as, uh, as a real fan is. Because mm-hmm. I just like kind of like the show. I'm yeah. not uh, that invested. But I definitely see the complaint people have. The last season does a lot to uh, not only wrap things up too much, too quickly, but it undermines a lot of the things that they had set up earlier. True. And I didn't like that. The the last season, yeah, definitely needed to be a lot longer because you have all this time of... So winter has been coming for like eight years. Yes. And then it arrives and it's gone the same day. Um, no, because winter starts at the end of the seventh season. But does it? It does. The battle with the Night King. That could have been a season, and it would have been a season if it was in season three or something. It would have been at least two episodes. Arya trains in that one house for 12 episodes. I feel like yeah. the battle with the Night King could have been more than 45 minutes. That's true. It just it comes and goes so quickly. And the season, the show starts with the White Walkers. They just come and go so quickly. I fundamentally didn't like the whole thing about the White Walkers. No, me neither. I thought it was such a great idea early on that there's just something out there we don't quite understand. And this threat that's looming over you from like an undiscovered land is it's really effective. But then when we actually see about them, it's like, oh, yeah, these forest people made someone, but they did it wrong. And now he's a Night King and then he makes other people. And you're like, oh, okay, are we going to get more backstory about who this big leader Night is? And you're like, is? you're like, no, no, that's that's all you're going to get. Why he's so angry? <laughs> but what do they want? What does the Night King want? I think he wants to make the entire world winter and take over. Oh, it's just like more comfortable for him then? Because he likes the... He doesn't like it hot. Yeah. I think he just, he wants what everyone wants. He wants the Iron Throne. Does he understand that the throne exists? I think so. Huh. Because we don't, nothing in the show leads me to believe that. Like, you might very well be right, but there's nothing that I saw that led me to believe that he has any aspiration for power. It just seems like he comes and kills and that's his thing. Maybe he wants to grow his army. Because that's but really the only thing end? he ever does. Yeah, see, Tell that's the everybody's thing. undead. That's the thing. Like, there's nothing, they don't tell us anything about it. And it's just fundamentally less interesting to me when we have a horde of non-human things. There's a reason that all zombie movies, all good zombie movies, are about interpersonal relationships, about people who are surviving. Yeah. Because just fighting off a horde of nameless things, it's only exciting for so long. That's how I felt with these characters. Because they're not characters. It's just an unnamed horde. Yeah. And I think they use the Night King to try to put a face on it, but it's ultimately ineffective i think one thing i really liked about um the night king and the way that they used him as um a big plot device was um like during the battle of winterfell the night king's army is killing people who are defending winterfell 
people who are defending Winterfell seem to be killing the White Walkers. And I think one of the scariest parts that really prolonged this whole battle scene was that the people who were dying defending Winterfell turned into the bad guys. Yeah, that is a good device. I really liked when they did that. I found it frustrating because obviously I want, like, everyone at Winterfell to win. But I really liked that all of a sudden, like, his army, like, doubled out of nowhere. There was that great scene earlier when... Uh, John and the Free Folk and the Night's Watch are fighting them at Castle Black and around the wall when they jump in the boats to leave. Yes. And you see all of their dead comrades just slowly, like nothing, just get up. Oh my god, yeah. And it was it was a really eer- eerie shot. And it's it was so I think creepy. maybe even silent at that point. They might not even had a score, but it was very good. Yeah. And that's one thing I really appreciate about this show is that they used score really well. The music is very good. And sometimes they understood that there just shouldn't be music. That's true. Because you're already feeling a lot of emotion. You're already really, like, into it. You don't need something else going in the background mm-hmm. because you're already so focused on the what's going on. The score didn't tell you what to think. It no. just underscored what you should feel. <laughs> would you say the score underscored? I would say that. Um, and I think that it it really enriched some scenes and never took away from scenes. Bran is a character we didn't talk about a lot, and I think he's kind of universally hated. Um, he's just lame. Literally, yeah. That's not <laughs> oh why they don't really use that term, but okay. <laughs> no, I meant he's boring. <laughs> there is There was one whole season where he just lies under a tree. Yes. That was a full he season. He gets dragged around in a sled. Yeah. Um, but how did you feel with him becoming king? I don't know. I feel like at this point, he's a good choice. He's not crazy. He seems pretty even-tempered. He's from a good house. I liked the idea that was put forward at the end of the series was that he knows all of the history. He can probably see the future. He's a good ruler because he knows literally everything. If we're going by the rules of the show, he's absolutely the best leader because he's maybe omnipotent yes my problem isn't with him being king because clearly he should be because he's like kind of a god or something now yeah but what what is he i think because maybe it's because the last season got pushed forward so quickly but we have no idea like what he can do so he can time travel yes because he went back to ruin hodor's mind so he could save him later in the future yes he says he can, like, see everything, and sometimes he can. But then why wasn't he used to any ends? Why didn't Sansa, like, say, like, oh, hey, you can see everything? Um, Want to help us out with this uh, whole Night King situation? All he does is fly around as a crow and look at stuff. Yes. But he can time travel. I don't really understand the whole warging thing. Because it's not clear. Because it's never explained. There's no rules for the magic in no. Game of Thrones. Sometimes someone can do anything, but they only do it every now and then. Yeah, I wish that the character of Bran, especially because he ends up on the on the throne, I think that it would have been a lot better for this, like for his character and for the series, if he was fleshed out a little bit more. 
Other... We don't even know if it's Bran in there. Like, what happened to the character of Bran? Like, the, the consciousness of Bran. Does that still exist? Is it dead? Is it mixed in there with this three-eyed raven? What's a three-eyed raven? Exactly. I don't know. All these questions and more. Yeah. But yeah, I, I, I would have really liked to have seen a little bit more character arc. Like, his sister's got huge character arcs. Yes. And we know pretty much everything about them. Yeah, he um, went to a tree and then became the three-eyed raven. And his legs don't work. Yes. That's all we know about him. Yeah. He had some weird forest friends. Yeah, who are all dead now? Are those forest people still alive? Maybe. I'm not sure. Were they all in that cave? They couldn't all have been in that cave. And they predate humanity. And did they make humans? They made the White Walkers. But yeah, none of that's really clear. No. And I, I that's something that I'd really like to see... Or I guess they're not going to make any more. But I really would have liked to see explained. You don't think they're going to make more? Well, I know there's a prequel already set to film. Really? I was going to say, I bet they're making a prequel. Or... Yeah, it's set thousands of years before King's Landing. Oh, I'd be interested in It's that. about like the children of the forest. and oh, um, yeah, them. It's like an origin story for a lot of like the the magical things that happen. Okay. That's that's interesting. And the lore and the things that they allude to, like the stories from way back when, there's a lot of that that's supposed to be kind of included in it. And the first men. They came from Essos and they were the Andals. They were the first men of England. Not England. Westeros. Yes. <laughs> but England. Yes. So I'm pretty sure that that's what it deals with. Oh, that's that's actually interesting because the little glimpses we got of that, I, I wish I'd heard more because in the show, they often make references to things that happened way back when. And I'm sure it's fleshed out in the books maybe more, oh, I'm but sure, I have yeah. no idea what all those references are. You'll be watching the prequel with me? I guess I'll... We'll see. You just really want to see that like... Tyrion spinoff where he goes on adventures with other people. Oh, I totally watched that. Or an Arya show. Arya, yeah. It would be called West of Westeros. West of Westeros. The Arya Chronicles. Yeah. Just her and Needle. Needle's my favorite character. And maybe Gendry, like, chasing after her, trying to get her to love him. I guess I get why people don't like the last season. It kind of destroys a lot of what the first season started there was these roads to redemption that were set on like like jamie's and then it was just kind of he kind of goes back on it we could talk a whole lot about that but but we're we're going so long i feel like we should just wrap it up so any last words on game of thrones I guess I can talk about where I watched the final episode. I was at a bachelorette party at a lake house and um, there were six of us staying overnight and everyone had come prepared with a way to watch Game of Thrones by themselves and because nobody was missing the finale. And then we kind of talked about it and everyone was kind of asking what was going to be going on during that time. And then we all realized that we were going to be doing this one thing together. So we ended up watching it together, which was kind of a neat way to watch the finale of this huge thing. It felt like everyone was watching it. I feel like we've lost this huge thing that like really brought people together. And I think that is a big part of the reason why I was just kind of lukewarm on the show. Yeah. It, of course, has great production values. I think the acting is very good as well. The writing is uneven, but fine for much of it. But I never watched it in a world where... You watch it and then you talk to everyone about yes. it. I 
completely missed out on that. And in the last week since I've watched the last episode, I've talked to a few people about it. And it seems like that's the real strength of the show is something that exists outside of it. Yes. It's a type of show that people need to talk about. They need to theorize about and they love to hate characters and that's the the show's greatest strength i think there was a really good like therapy part of it right like you go to work the next day you find the people that you know watched it last night mm-hmm. and you just hash it all out and you really get all those feelings that like may have come up during the show like how upset you are that this person died or how like mad you are that this person didn't get what they were supposed to or this horrible thing happened and talk about it with everyone else you get that vindication and that like group therapy session almost yeah and i think i'm starting to understand that because i have like pages and pages of things written here that i don't like and i think didn't work (laughs) and are really problematic and i didn't really talk about them because when we're talking like this it makes me like the show a lot more Mm -hmm. and i think that's a big part of why i love the show as much as i do is because it is it brings people together yeah so I guess our final recommendation is watch Game of Thrones, but go back in time and watch it with everyone live. (laughs) Get your three-eyed raven. Right, right. (laughs) Do whatever you do with that. Go back and watch your dad kill someone. Yeah, and watch your sister get arrested and married off to the highest bidder and then eventually become Queen of the North. Well, I think it's time to go to bed. I think so. So uh, I hope you enjoyed this episode. Please review us because that's a thing that happens now. And we Rate, want people, review, subscribe. We want people to watch or we want people to listen to this podcast. Yes, so please. share this with someone. That's what it will do. You know what? We're not even going to do all the social media today. Just Talk to someone, someone you like and uh, tell them about this podcast. Okay? Yes. Have that post Game of Thrones therapy session with someone and tell them about our episode. Goodbye, everyone. Goodbye. Good night. Have a nice rest of your day, evening, night. Good morning. You about done? Yeah, I'm done.